This is Michael Troughton, and you're listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 511 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where the new doctor is here and he fits like a mavity glove. I'm Kier. I'm Haley. And I'm Julie. This week, we have the first full episode with our 15th doctor, our new traveling friend, Ruby Sunday, and goblins, because Christmas. A hooded figure leaves an infant on the doorstep of a church in 2004. That infant grows up to be Ruby Sunday, who has been having a string of bad luck as she nears her 19th birthday. Enter the doctor, who happens to be in her periphery and is noting all the coincidental mishaps. After some introductions, they collectively learn that goblins have been drawn to her as a foundling, and what's worse, drawn even more to the infant who just arrived at the Sunday foster home. It seems goblins are time riders, not time travelers, thank you very much, who have the capability to power their ships through sources of coincidence. And the lure of these Christmas-born characters is too appetizing for the Goblin King. Sadly, not David Bowie. More's a pity, because this was a heck of a one to be able to enjoy together. Uh, he was able to uh, send in his thoughts and uh, and questions, because we're left with lots of questions about this particular story. So I'm going to give it to him for the lead off on this one so we can get this conversation started. So the first thing that really needs to get addressed is the, the Goblin song. This kind of took the show in a direction that we haven't seen for quite some time. I can't think of any other time that we've had something this kind of off the wall and goofball. And yes, it is a Christmas special, but this kind of went a little further. Like I've had friends who are just getting back into the show reach out to me and they're like, this might be too much for me. And I'm like, no, 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 just hold on. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but this moment and following closely thereafter, the masterful improv by the doctor and Ruby to keep the song going. What did, what did you all think about this? Like, how is it, how did it sit with you in the moment? How has it kind of affected you since then? Like, I've had the Goblin song stuck in my head for weeks already, so. With regards to the Goblin song, I know this was one of the things where, uh, this is actually, Haley, where we had to tell Julie to stick her fingers in her ears um, when we were recording the last episode, <laughs> because they had released this really early as a first look, first clip, and released the entire song. Uh, well, up until the point where they fall through the floor onto the conveyor belt. Yeah. So a good chunk of the the silliness, the campiness of the song, but also the plot elements that are sort of woven into the lyrics a bit were right there for the audience to start to look at early. 
Which is why I did not want to listen, and I'm so glad I totally didn't. valid. I feel like, to Jay's point, that the moment of levity that this added to the episode was on point and very much needed. Like it could have gone really dark. They're about to eat a baby, but you get the moment of humor and a little bit of fun with that segue into the Doctor and Ruby having a little bit of a performance, which. I mean, who's not going to want to see them sing and dance? Right. So I don't remember if I didn't watch this clip when it came out or if I've just completely forgotten that I did watch it because I have no memory of seeing this before I watched the episode. <laughs> As I have it the should footage be. of Haley right there on the screen <laughs> watching this. Thing. Okay. Well, nonetheless, there's the the that concern about does it drift too far into camp or the whole idea of Dr. and Ruby then picking up the mantle on the song and adding verses to it that are, again, even more so weaving through the plot and how they're getting out of the scene is, is it new for who? Yes and no. We did have the gunfighters, which had musical interludes throughout because that was the you know the the saloon and you had the the, the honky tonk piano kind of going in the corner there that would give these little interludes but the idea of of the doctor's involvement in the song um and using the lyrics as part of the the uh, the the narrative aspect of the story is definitely new i felt like this was a lot of fun it was a a moment of levity that was kind of needed when you're dealing with something that could very easily have gone dark. And this was RTD's way of being like, no, 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 sit back, enjoy yourself and have fun. This is going to be a fun story, even though it seems like it could be really bad, but it's just going to be fun. Haley, you, you had a, like a question or a concern about the, the way this was going to stitch. Not even a concern. I just wonder if music is going to be a big part of this run with the introduction of Shooty they put the jukebox in the TARDIS. In this, his first episode as the Doctor, we've got a musical number. We've also got the dance scene in the club. Um, mm. So I just kind of wonder if that's going to be kind of a big part of this Doctor and his personality is the way music is going to be interwoven into the stories. Maybe not exactly as it was in this one with dancing and singing goblins, but that we're just going to see more music as part of the story beyond Murray Gold's score. That's a good point. Mm. And also, uh, it, it happens for a very short amount of screen time, but Ruby is a piano player. She was playing the keyboard with her band at the beginning. So that's a, that's a, a skill that she has in her bag that could be utilized later if it, if it does become part of a, a, a recurring element, not necessarily a theme, but an element of the, of the program, which I'm fine with. It's maybe not necessarily full musical, but something where the, as I think you were all sort of wondering last time around, is the are the selections from the jukebox going to be something that is tied into particular storylines? I know when they were talking to uh, one of the producers, and they said that the songs that are literally on the jukebox, like are actually, it's a practical jukebox, and the songs that are on there are relevant to episodes to come whether they get played or not, like something for maybe, maybe it's like for the cast or for the crew or something that they put them in there. But, um, and I won't divulge some of the titles they said that were in there, but I couldn't figure them out from some of the, <laughs> the things that they said. So. Yeah. Another thing kind of on the point of the music, but more, I guess the musical number, this is the same kind of tone we had the last time Russell T Davies was the showrunner. Like, yes, it's going to get very dark at times, but it's also going to be punctuated with silliness and joy as well. So I think that's a nice change of pace for what we've had with the doctor for a while. Um, I think the show has generally gotten darker as we've gone through showrunners. Mm. So to have somebody trying to bring back the levity to Jay's point that this show used to have, I think is a, a good turn for the show to take. The unexpectedness, if nothing else. Just the fact that mm -hmm. you don't really know what the next episode or the next story is going to introduce that may be something that, wow, I've never I've never seen them try to do this in this genre before. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, 
uh, as you said, that's that's something that Russell likes to dabble in as a as an entertainer. He wants to entertain people uh, and bring them in from areas where oh, I don't know. I, I like my I like watching Glee. I like watching. He said, "Oh, it's got musical numbers every once in a while." Oh, okay, yeah, I'll give it a look. But um, I mean, if for nothing else, too, it allows the show to get a little bit dark and heavy and have the weight, which I think is really important, especially for TV nowadays. I want the characters' decisions to matter. If they make a mistake or miss a detail, I want that to be important. Mm-hmm. And I want it to have weight, but I also don't want to cry every episode or be shocked and appalled. And by having this type of ability to bring in music as a distraction or an uplifting beat, it it gives them the room to play with that mm-hmm. in this episode and hopefully in the future. More so than just the music, too. There's also the fact that, uh, granted, very early points to notice this, but it seems like there are tones of bringing back a truly madcap doctor. So reactions and takes and and off the cuff, um, you know, toss in lines and little moments with the with the police constable and the you know she's going to say yes and those things that kind of sort of cut through what could be a, a very tense moment or, oh, the, you know, the game is afoot and we should be going down and doing this. Well, okay, we did do the game afoot uh, thing, but we did a Sherlocky kind of game is afoot thing. Um, and the doctor's now noticing these things, which is really reminiscent of Tennant when he got towards the close of his first season and was really reveling in the, uh, in the adventure of it all. And the fact that he had a best mate at his side to experience it with him. So this seems like it's cut from a similar cloth, but possibly with some uh, some new elements. Well, I think one thing you had noted, too, was that he, the doctor, introduced Ruby as his friend. And I know from a Doctor Who as a TV series, they will always be the companions, but if the doctor sees her not as just someone who's coming along with me, but this is a person with whom I am friendly and would like to share moments, not just let me show you the stars, see what I can do, show mm-hmm. off moment, that might, well, it, it obviously will, but it will be something to see him happy traveling with a friend, not family, not we go through heavy stuff together, but this is someone who I genuinely just want to spend time with because they are my friend. Friend and is intrigued by, because as he starts to realize what kind of commonalities they have as foundlings, you know, as adopted children for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes, he's not going to divulge that. By the way, you know, mark that box for the flux gets yet another, you know, timeless child storyline is in there and yeah. is being acknowledged, but it's not being leaned into, uh, which is great. It it's it's a. Uh, a lore drop yeah. backstory that you don't need all of the details if you've watched it. We went through it. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't, you just need to know that he's connecting with her on that level. Yeah. And the fact that he says, I only recently found out, yeah. which tells anybody who's just walking into this after some time away, and maybe they haven't watched since the Smith era or something. They're like, wait, when, when, when did this, what do you mean, recently? Oh, okay, so it's just from the previous season? Maybe I'll go back and watch that. Yeah. Or just come along with me. You haven't missed much. I, you just got caught up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's something that new Whovians in particular are used to having that kind of thing dropped on them because very many of us come into this with no exposure to classic Who. And we just get told like, oh, hey, this happened in my past. And we're like, okay, yep, must must have. And, you know, we take it and move on. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're giving you a gift of like, you don't have to know. You just have to accept. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but certain things that we absolutely... If you need to know more, we'll give you more. Yeah. Right. Come with us on this journey. Like it's a TV show or something. <laughs> but one thing that we do not like to sit on for too long because we're just trained to want to pick these things apart is, uh, is unanswered questions and, and newfound mysteries. So, yes, uh, being able to do lore drops that say that it's there for you if you want to go back and, and dig into it, that's great. But that's already, you know, the water over there has already smoothed after the boat went by. <laughs> you just pulled this speedboat through what we're currently watching and leaving us things that we want to know now, 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 before the credits roll. Yeah. So what, what's floating out there that, that needs to be addressed? 
Haley, I think you and Jay actually shared a are, question. Are, are we talking about something in the floodwaters of the show? <laughs> we we could we we could we could address the uh, the 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 rising tide uh, that could soon be a flood. I mean, you end the episode with her breaking the fourth wall, which is basically just RTD giving a big old wink to the audience, like, "Hey, hey, are you paying attention? Something's being laid here." I expect that to be a big reveal, whether it's somebody returning from classic who, whether it is she didn't recognize the the police box as a uh, a TARDIS. So it, it wasn't until it dematerialized that it clicked for her. So it's not somebody I think who has dealt with the doctor directly in this capacity. So I don't know, but I'm I'm not big on speculation. So I'm just going to enjoy the ride and see where this takes us. Chronologically, sure, the the big question comes up at the close of the story, but we've we see her, we see Mrs. Flood, the the neighbor, at multiple points through the story, and I think it's at some point right after the right after the crack occurs, Doctor runs out of uh, the cherry flat and bolts to the TARDIS, and Mrs. Flood witnesses it disappear, and she takes it in shock, you know, right, drops her groceries on the sidewalk. So completely new experience to her. I know some people were getting hung up on the fact that she said, I haven't seen one of those uh, on the side of the street in 50 years. And I don't want to see one now. Was that they were digging through like, okay, 50 years ago from this episode was this and you know, could it be this person and so on, so on, so on. And, and the theories abound. But as I mean, Jay puts it, yeah, without too much speculation, I think she's going to be somebody. I think that I, what I don't know is, did she have knowledge of the doctor before or was it new because of something that happened in the split timeline that merged back together? Or is she someone from the doctor's past or future that just has this knowledge, but it was sort of buried deep and now we're going to run through that and find out? <laughs> I don't know. There's so many little hints and tidbits that we've gotten about greater powers the boss somebody who's going to be checking in the red nail polish the yeah yeah <laughs> so do we want to do mad theorizing or are we not going to do we that? absolutely want to do a little bit of mad theorizing <laughs> because i think there's some credence to some of the theories already floating out there and there's other ones that i personally can dismiss because of you know this that or the other thing but what's the what's everybody's knee-jerk reaction my very first thought was, what if it's Susan? But I think they would have brought a, wanted to bring back Carol Ann Ford if they For were going to sure. do that. Unless they're going to do that later and then show her regenerating into this other person. That, oh, um, dope. Uh, anyway, sorry. Yeah, but if that's... But then... Be, go ahead. If that's the case, why would she not just jump and run to the TARDIS? Sure, yeah. Why would she play aloof yeah. uh, and not want to peek her head in there? Because it's... It's not just that it's a police box over on the corner at the very beginning. This police box is literally in front of her house. It's not, it wasn't there before. Yeah, it's blocking it's the new. sidewalk. It's not, yeah. Like that, I feel like anybody who's too deep in, uh, as a Time Lord or something else would have had a very much like, that is the Doctor's TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Because no one else parks like that. <laughs> right. Parks like that in front, in the middle, and just, yeah. You couldn't have at least like gotten it down to the corner where there's a little bit more room on the cement. Yeah. Now, if it's someone who's not invested but knows the doctor and is kind of like, well, which one is this? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. What do I want to interact? What am I waiting for that moment? Which is what we get at the end. Mm -hmm. That I'm okay with. But someone yeah. who's like going to want to interact and be waiting for the doctor potentially i would that I, I don't know that but not to throw away your idea you had another one <laughs> well i was gonna say because because i was like oh well if they were gonna bring her back they'd use carolyn ford they wouldn't recast that role i don't think my next thought was well what if it's Ginny, the doctor's other progeny that we've been introduced over the run of the show Oh. Like, you know, she's gone off, had all of her adventures that she had on her own, and this is a much older version of her that decided to settle down on mm -hmm. Earth. But then the 50 years line doesn't make much sense, unless it was something where... And then that's the, that's the thing that's sticking in my brain, is I don't know if she is anybody in particular, 
because of the fact that she is sort of oblivious to, through the first half of the story. And it, maybe it's like a sleeper thing where the repressed memories bubble up on the surface the first time she sees it dematerialize or, or what have you. Part of my brain wants to say that Mrs. Flood is Mrs. Flood. And at some point that we didn't see in the scene, after she sees it dematerialize, the next time the doctor comes back, she's flipping out on the sidewalk, pointing and saying that she's going to call the constables. And the doctor takes her on a quick jaunt adventure <laughs> and drops her back. And her eyes have been open to all of this stuff. She got one trip. And that's why she's all cocky about everything. She's like, well, you've never seen a TARDIS before. <laughs> like, okay. Oh, oh, now you're an expert, aren't you? Yeah. Well, and I, I would not discount that because what if there is something along with the, oh, I forgot something or, or otherwise. Oh, yeah. Where she gets to go or something else. And it becomes a thing where we, it would be really fun to see the day in the life of Mrs. Flood. And <laughs> it's something to do with also saving Davina, saving somebody else, uh, something to do with the cherries. You never know, right? Mm -hmm. Like it could be, uh, or, you know, the Sundays, not cherries. <laughs> the cherries. We'll talk about cherry in a minute. <laughs> yeah. She is a whole topic in and of her own. But something like that, to your point, I think that would be fun to just let that have been an experience that we get later. And now it, cool? it ties, it loops it back through. I think that's that like would the be Easter fun. special. Yeah. We just get, uh, it's, it's only about 15 minutes long. It's this little thing that they just add in during their holiday program. Or next year's, ho A web next year's oh, holiday webisode. special where you actually get to see what happened in the other moments. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. they've already <laughs> shot it. So why not? Exactly. <laughs> she was already there. It's good. Mm -hmm. One of the prevailing. Um, but God. Go ahead. I was going to say one of the, one of the prevailing theories is uh is it feels a little bit on the nose um but i think it's one of the only ones that still to this moment has a bit of credibility and that is that flood with flood brings the rain r-a-i-n it's an anagram of ronnie so uh, the only way that that would make sense is and and it might explain why the true mrs flood didn't know what the TARDIS was when it was seen was because Mrs. Flood isn't home anymore. Oh, and that's not That's her not her anymore. at the end, yeah. But I don't, the only thing that sticks with me on that is the way that, the, the way that Mrs. Flood reacts to seeing the doctor running out one more time to dematerialize, seeing the door open for Ruby, the, the little bit of joy in her face of saying, go on, you know, have your adventure, go, you know, this, this is your time, go do it. And, and just enjoying it rather than saying, oh, all of my machinations are now going according to plan. There's no mustache twirling whatsoever going on here. So it feels benevolent, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, similar to that one, the other big theory that I had and then saw other people had is that we have seen before water themed names being tied to a certain family. Mm -hmm. We had the ponds, which led to river, that Mrs. Flood is some descendant of the ponds. Um, and so she didn't know what she was seeing until she saw it do what it did. And that's why her attitude about the TARDIS changed after seeing it dematerialize is because she's like, oh, these stories that my mother told me or grandma, whoever. Um, oh, this is what okay. this yeah, is. Yeah, we used to chalk them up to just uh, uh, Great Grand's tales, and now it looks like they're actually true. Oh, I actually like that theory the most so far. I would think, I hadn't though, heard that. Yeah. Maybe I'm just being selfish. I would think that if I was that individual and I just realized that my, my Grand's crazy tales were suddenly valid, I would then feel a little bit of entitlement to say, all right, I'm related to the ponds, the pond. I should get a ride in this thing. I but should be. If she is truly that, she would know that the doctor will return here with Ruby regularly. Mm -hmm. So this is Ruby's turn. But next time he comes back, I will invite myself along, <laughs> or just slip in on my own because I probably have a. I'm probably a biometrically linked to be able to open the doors if I want to. Something like that. I would accept that in a future uh, episode. Mm. And then we get the A Day in the Life of Mrs. Flood. <laughs> exactly. Um, another question that I know uh, Jay also addressed is, 
who is Ruby's mom? Yeah. Why did we not get some additional information on that? Why did the doctor let her go? Who is she? Yeah. Well, let's let's let Jay ask it. We've also got the question of who is Ruby's mom, which could potentially be just left. If if we never get an answer to that, it's not really going to be a detriment to the story as we see it right now. I I don't know if it's going to be something that's important, but the fact that it was kind of pointed out like she left absolutely no trace. There's no way to find her seems a bit odd. If they were going to be just like, no, we don't know who your mom is moving on, they wouldn't have put so much effort into making it a strange thing that they couldn't find it. So I expect we'll probably get something at some point, but I don't know. The idea that it's something that could go unanswered and be absolutely fine is very a very subjective <laughs> reaction. It depends on who you're asking whether or not they're fine with it. Something that is painted with such a thick brush um, and is that that moment that the doctor could very easily have just said, oi, once and had a face turn around, not, not confront her, not stop her, not make her come back, but just quick facial recognition of who this individual is and then let her go. Um, the fact that that wasn't done and it's literally shrouded in mystery tells me that it needs to be something more. Because when you pair that with the fact that Ruby's parents are biiologically untraceable. Her entire family, right? No cousins, right. no uncles, Nothing. no nobody. Her bloodline does not exist in, in our records. Tells me that this is something very uh, – a timeless child, you know, uh, alternate existence kind of transplant. So who is that individual in the hood? That's the Ronnie. <laughs> I'm t- there you go. Uh, the other one I saw was that it's Jody's doctor. It did look like they were some high water pants yeah. over those boots. Mm-hmm. So if the doctor already knows, that's why. Because the doctor already was there or already knows the answer, so we didn't need to see it or experience it. But we will find out in future episodes if this is something that they're going to explore. Hmm. So where did the 13th doctor get this baby? No, I'm saying... Either way. She birthed it. <laughs> hmm. Has no one told you where babies come from, Kier? Well, I'm I'm not allowed to read those books on that shelf yet. Because <laughs> we had this conversation in the episode that was on, like, the medical ship. Something came up in the doctor's blood work. And there was theorizing at the time that the doctor was pregnant. Oh, yeah. I'll have to go back and watch the Syringa Conundrum again. Huh. And then they never did anything with that info. I will watch it because the pating is in it. <laughs> uh, strictly for the pating. Okay. I'd watch it for Brett Goldstein, but that's okay. Also, well, you I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Okay. we should. <laughs> there's a lot of reasons to go We back have homework now. Plus, the set was gorgeous. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think if, if there was a potential for that, that'd be real interesting. And then, did Susan have two hearts or no? Was that ever addressed? We were never told. No, the whole two hearts thing was sort of added to the canon later. Later, mm-hmm. so... Yeah. So there's a lot of questions about Susan that come up. Oh, sure. After the fact, now that we have more lore to the show of like, I have questions about Susan. You know, <laughs> is she really the doctor's granddaughter or is, was she a foundling that he adopted? Um, I, no, I, I think there were points in Susan's dialogue where she described um, uh, being home. So I yeah. I think that she had been Gallifreyan to begin with, uh, even though they hadn't even established the I, name of the She still could planet. have been Gallifreyan to begin with, but the doctor could have still adopted her. True, true. Um, before we walk too far away from the question of the transplanted baby or, or taken out of one universe or what have you, or any of those potential possibilities, Haley, you were wondering whether this may be mm-hmm. shades of shades of something larger, like the. Uh, kind of a yeah, I mean something that I've kind of been trying to piece together based on the specials and based on the Christmas special is what kind of show running Russell T Davies has in mind for this new run. Um, how much from his previous repertoire is he planning to bring back, and how much is he planning to change with that style? One of the things that he did, I I thought specifically about the Bad Wolf arc, but it was kind of the way he did his story arcs was that you got breadcrumbs throughout the season of like. There's something bigger going on. 
you weren't really given a lot of detail. There wasn't some overdriving arc throughout the season that tied all of the episode threads together. But then at the end, you were able to put together the bigger picture. Um, so we got that with Bad Wolf and Vote Saxon. I wonder if that's going to be what Ruby's parentage is for this season. Is like, we'll get breadcrumbs of it as we go through the season. And then towards the end of the season, we get like the big story about what's actually going on with her. Mm. Or if it's going to be something else that is that. Or if he's got a different storytelling plan entirely for this run. Another topic that we've discussed before and is a question that I have outstanding is Mavity. <laughs> Clearly a thing. It is something that I had guessed we would hear just subtly used and not really highlighted in a big way. So is it something that is going to need to be fixed or is this just a new normal word that gets used in place of gravity because it's a fun bit i have my theory but i i don't know my theory goes darker it takes a funny thing and, and kind of goes dark with it I, i've got a silly theory that can go first i wonder if they're gonna use mavity for this entire season and then at the end, the doctor's going to be like, hold on, there's something that's been bugging me. I got to go fix it real quick. And he goes and meets Sir Isaac again right after Donna and Tennant's doctor are there. And he's like, you know, I, I think it would be a grave mistake to use the word mavity. It sounds a little silly. And then Isaac's like, oh, gravity. And it fixes it <laughs> and he leaves. Well, there yeah. is the aspect of canonically... The fourth doctor already claimed that he had given Sir Isaac Newton all of the knowledge of gravity because he was up in the tree throwing apples down at him. And then they spent the evening together talking about the laws of gravity. So that could be something where they have a, a quick way to be able to say if, if it if it corrects itself over time, you know, it's like time heals its own wounds sort of thing that that could just say, all right, well, according to what we established back by the in the Tom Baker era you know maybe he went back and and, and fixed all that you know but uh, which changes the chronology a little bit but so be it whatever it's a time traveling show it's fun yeah. I, I do I don't know if this steps on your toes for what your theory is gear but mm. I do think it's something that they're going to want to address but how that gets addressed I'm, I'm not really sure I think it is actually connected to what Jay had been talking about uh, oh, back in the second special, which is the repercussions of putting a superstition out at the edge of the universe, which is one of the reasons why things like goblins riding time and, and being having a, uh, an entire um, method of, of, uh, of conveyance that's built on what would be fantastical or superstitious aspects, Ooh, bad luck, you know, that sort of thing. That's that I have a feeling, and this is just my thought, that part of what maybe this season's arc will be, or maybe something that extends further, is going to be the fact that that careless error leads to the capability of all of these otherwise well outside the scope of science fiction starting to happen within this science fiction program. Mm -hmm. And that we have to start dealing with things like luck. Um, we have to start dealing with um, with with uh, you know, magical creatures, uh, magic itself. You know, there's a really, really quick exchange between Ruby and the doctor as they're running up and down her corridor or her hallway or something about that. Uh, or maybe, maybe Ruby says that, that magic is just a, a matter of uh, unexplained science or she says something to that effect. Mm -hmm. So that's there and that might be the current conventional wisdom. But we might get to a point where so many outlandish things are happening that don't have an immediately uh, scientifically explicable pattern to them that even the doctor is, is having to kind of do a whole lot of hand wavium to to try and justify it in his mind that the realization comes in that, oh okay maybe i shouldn't have done that well already has said i shouldn't have done that right. i shouldn't have done that and it gets so much worse yeah that, that you have to go back and roll back all of those things uh, carefully, surgically, so it doesn't it doesn't wipe away what we did with Donna or anything of that sort. But but and in the process, it fixes Mavity. Yeah, that, that I 
I like that theory because it it also maps well to what happened in this episode with learning the language of knots and ropes mm. as something that is an alternate way of solving it because the screwdriver doesn't work here. Science doesn't work here. This is a new thing. This is a new way of speaking or communicating or understanding the universe, the world. And that to me is very interesting and allows a lot of play in the script. Mm-hmm. We also have the, uh, what happens to the, uh, the Sunday flat. It's cracked right down the middle and Ruby just runs off while her mom is trying to figure that out. So I, I hope that gets addressed at the start of se- uh, season one, but I don't know. It it just kind of it irritated me because I'm like, yeah, let's see. How are they going to fix it? Oh, no, she's she's running away. OK, I don't know. I, I shared the same observation uh, by, by the second watching. I think the first time around I was too sort of wrapped up in the in the the sequence itself to, to kind of catch it. But I was wondering about the fact that Ruby, it, it's not just her running out of the flat and leaving the crack unresolved. And it, it's actually Ruby's behavior. The fact that for the potentially, as far as we understand, this could be the first time that she has sort of put her family second because it seemed to be such an important thing to her. And it was such a tight knit group among the three of them uh, and the 30, 32 other children that have come through uh, Carla's life. But it's something that uh, it, it could be the first reason for Carla to worry about her. She's always seemed like such a level-headed kid. She had a great group of friends. She, you know, seemed to be uh, a really important and and contributing part of the the household and the foster home that it provided for other children. That if this is the 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 beginning of a kind of a an aberrant behavior for her, it could bring the doctor's motives into question for Carla and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's going to be a really really fun one to watch as it goes. There was also the moment during the TV recording where she was saying that she was just waiting for her life to begin, however. So this is something that Ruby has clearly been waiting for, but she didn't know what form it would take. And now this is here. She, I'm not surprised that she jumped all over it as an opportunity. Right. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Rose deciding to go with the doctor finding out that it could travel through time and give her the opportunity to go back and see her father, Ruby's motivations seem very similar. You know, given giving her this opportunity to go back and see who her parents were and what led them to the decision to leave her. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we would ever need to get to the point where Carla understands more of who the doctor truly is, but there is somebody who, at some point, needs to get a little bit of an adventure. And I think Jay's got a pretty solid beat on this one. Can we take a moment and appreciate Ruby's mom, Carla, and her grand cherry Sunday? I'd... If it weren't for the fact that Shooty got what was in this episode, Cherry Sunday would have been the absolute star. I love her. I will defend her with everything. Please bring her back more often because she was incredible. She's such a gift. Such a gift to this story. Uh, I don't know if I would share Jay's thought that she actually is like right behind Shooty as being the gem in this crown. But damn, she's up there. Yeah. I I think she was a really great juxtaposition when the timelines changed. So you could see her. She's full of life. She's heckling them about her tea. Uh, what you know? Where? How does someone get a good cup of tea around here? And then to see her just cowering in the bed, just clearly gray, have no life left. So that the ability to have that, and then the play that she adds to it, and her interaction with the doctor was just a gem. I mean, I have really nothing to add. Yes, she was a delight for every second she was on screen, <laughs> um, and I look forward to more of those seconds. 
You love the fact that you actually get mad at the rest of the cast for not bringing her the tea. <laughs> yeah. Like by about the third time she's asking for it, like, all right, can we just pause this? I'm right. going to go get her a freaking cup right now because this is well, Nobody's even trying you to also- bring her her tea. They just keep saying like, <laughs> exactly. oh, yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. And then they don't even go to the kitchen. Right. I think it's a thing. <laughs> like the because at one point Carla says, well, your last one went cold. I feel like she asks for it. All day, all day. They bring it to her. She takes two sips, sets it down. And then she needs another cup because hers went cold. It went cold. And then she's like, I can't get a good cup around here. (laughs) Like It's right there. But now it's cold. I think it's like a bit. I think it's a thing (laughs) that continuously happens. And it's why to us, we feel slighted on her behalf. Mm -hmm. But really, it's like her way of still being involved because they keep passing by her room. And it's a thing she can gently... I'm here. Yes, I'd like my tea now, mm-hmm. but they never give it to her because it's always that moment of you never drink it all the way. <laughs> right. The tea's not what she wants. The banter is what she wants. Exactly. <laughs> and they are giving her all that she needs. The banter and maybe uh, the the little degree of subservience. Yes. <laughs> Just a little bit of, you know, I, I'm snapping my fingers. You're supposed to jump. Yeah. So. But she's doing... Her crosswords, reading a book, like every time somebody interacts with her, she's doing a different thing, which mm-hmm. I love. Yeah, she was, and, and as you were saying, that's the, she's very, for, for for her condition being what it is and the fact that she she probably can't leave the bed often, sure as heck isn't going to leave that floor. You know, she's going to live in the attic for the rest of her yeah. days kind of thing. She wants to be that. But, but she shines in that one little pocket and... The doctor notices that mm-hmm. and it's like walking past a statue that already has a nice shine to it and just giving a little <sighs> buffing it just a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. He just you know, kind of revels in that. So that that brings us really nicely to Jay's final point about wanting to to see Shooty's performance. So we had a few moments in the third special uh, that we got to see Shooty as the doctor, but now we've had a full episode with him as the focus, not tacked on to a David Tennant special, because let's be honest, that was, that was a David Tennant special that Shooty got to be a part of. But this time he was the focus of the episode. How are we feeling about him in the role? What is it that he brings that you either enjoy or don't? I was talking about this earlier And with one episode under his belt, I I feel confident in saying that if anyone stood the chance of replacing Capaldi as my doctor, this would be him. Uh, I'm not saying that he's going to, but he's got the best chance of anyone that I've seen. So I'm excited to see where this goes. I'm excited to see what he brings to it because just the range that he brought to this performance himself was incredible. I'd like to take what Jay is asking and do a little experiment with it, if I can, for the fact that we're going to – it's going to stick a pin in it right now and we're not going to be able to resume this until we start getting the next series proper. But I wanted to be able to see if you could sum up your descriptive takes on The 15th Doctor uh, after seeing uh, roughly an hour of screen time. Mm Mm-hmm. And then how that might change. Those same descriptors may fall to the wayside or be replaced by others mm. as we get to know him a little better. So anybody got the got their three adjectives that they would I I can go for one right off. Okay. Do can we can I can I go not we'll all in table. a row? Yeah. Yeah. Round table, see, yeah, round round table. Round. Okay. So I get, my first one is springy. <laughs> springy. Springy. Are you referring to the rabbit hops? I'm so in both <laughs> In in the rabbit hops and just his uh, demeanor is always very like popping off what's going on in front of him. Mm-hmm. It, mine is similar. My first one that popped to mind was vibrant. Yeah, yeah for I like sure. That. In, in multiple senses too. Mm-hmm. Um, the demeanor, uh, reactions and responses, uh, dress code, everything. You know. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow. Uh, I would probably, right off the top, say um, curious. I think the curiosity is back. Yeah, Jody showed signs of it, 
but then her doctor got pulled into things that that upstaged it or overshadowed it and didn't allow that to to flourish because things got so dark so heavy so fast that this seems like in response to 14 being so racked with guilt that the the counterpoint to that once the therapy is complete as we were talking about last time that this is now sort of this new joie de vivre Mm -hmm. and it steeps through everything everything is just wide-eyed and and ready for it whether it's a challenge or whether it's a, a struggle or a conflict everything is you know you're dealing with this goblin king thing this massive beast that's opening its maw to eat everyone and let's just ease the baby to the back stand up take a bow say a yeah. few things break into song why not you know that's that's a that's a a fresh take yeah with which I think the end of what you were just saying, my next word would be bold mm. because of the way that that was just like, let me drop right in the middle of all these and just see what happens. And then also the end of the Goblin King. We don't often see the doctor completely take out a an adversary. Yeah. We usually see a redirect or a fix. But not a let's completely remove this piece from the game board. Yeah. No attempt to rationalize. Mm-mm. I mean, it might be cheating, but uh, stylish. <laughs> I, just, I think that's his I own accept, thing. I accept. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just look, that the look of this doctor is fantastic. Right. Did you notice when they start having the conversations, when, when we get to the, the split uh, timeline or reality or whatever we're in, and the doctor starts to realize that Carla doesn't remember her family and all the lives that she touched mm-hmm. and the repercussions of that. The doctor is within seconds in tears mm-hmm. before she really starts to tear up and doesn't understand why. This is – I don't really know what the right adjective is to apply to this because it's not a matter of saying that he's thin-skinned or oversensitive or anything like that. Emotional. But Empathic. It, Empathic. Empathic, yeah. All right. So it is a level of empathy because it may not, we may not have seen all of it yet, but it may be something that uh, feeding on the joy in the room. Um, yeah. But the only thing that we haven't seen is we haven't seen uh, a feeding into uh, fear yet or anger. You know, yeah. That'll be a whole, well, I can't wait to see how you know, this doctor does with those sort of, the, that end of the emotional spectrum. I, I argue against that a little bit. I think we got a little bit of anger, not hmm. intense, but... Can someone tell me what the hell is going on here is definitely an angry oh, statement. Yeah. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. That's true. And commanding. Ooh, that's my next word. Commanding, which is similar to bold, but okay. directive and organizational, uh-huh. which is a little different. Mm. So in, the, in the aspect of sort of driving conversation yeah. or... Uh, conversation, action... Uh, <laughs> running alongside and then hopping up to and being like, why did you do this thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, but not in a negative, uh, like putting someone down way, but sort of like you just, you saw a ladder and you're going to jump on it. Well, the baby's up there. Okay. I have the solution <laughs> for this. Like commands the order of operations. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, patient. And I'm going to use that one because it's different than some of the other doctors we've seen. So just in the second part of the 60th anniversary special, we had Tennant's doctor who couldn't stop thinking as quickly as possible for even a minute to keep them alive. Mm. Whereas this doctor spent weeks, it seems, observing Ruby to see what was going on, as opposed to jumping straight in and figuring it out as he went along. Yeah, yeah, we don't even know how long uh, she had sort of been under under observation just for being a curiosity. Before the doctor even really understood uh, the magnitude of what was going on, she was just – she had some magnetism of coincidence mm-hmm. about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess the last – Adjective I would use then, and I'm going to, I'm going to ping Jay uh, offline about getting his three on this too. Uh, The last one, see, I've got curious, I've got empathetic, and I'm going to, I'm going to go for the low hanging fruit and say youthful on this. I almost use that one. Because it's a matter. Yeah. Because it's like, 
Uh, I'm I'm there. You know, if I have to, if if I'm doing the uh, the stakeout and I'm keeping an eye on Ruby, and I'm in a nightclub, yeah, I'm getting out on the dance floor, and I just happen to be wearing a killer tight tank top and a kilt because I got a kilt now, and I got mm-hmm. it's just it, it just that that ability to to connect. It, it explains a lot of the immediate chemistry between he and Ruby. But there's also a degree of respect for elders that is that is there. It's just the right pocket as far as this this perceived age, even though we've already made the joke that this is technically the oldest doctor. Ha 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 ha. Mm-hmm. But I I I wanna see all of these things last because they add to such a such a bright spot right now and, and such a such a of Hey, I'll use your term. Such a vibrance that comes off the screen and it's played into, I think the whole crew knows how to leverage it because the music, the the lighting, the costumes, everything is done to sort of make this, this massive spectacle yeah. and sensory experience with him at the heart of it. Yep. Oh, and, and back to our question about the TARDIS interior being kind of monochromatic. Yeah. Yeah, okay. You want to you want to make a gem really stand out? You put it on a on a, a monochromatic cloth so that you can take in all of the the contrast of the color that's there. Yeah. And then allow it to also be a techno dance floor, I'm sure at some point. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You hit that one button. Yep. For sure. Well, when we meet again, and we'll have Jay back in the studio for this, we're going to be doing a bit of a recap now that we said that we were going to accomplish once all of the specials were complete. This is technically considered special four, if you ask Disney. So we will take them all together and discuss what have we learned from these uh, and where do we think we may be headed because we're not going to get any answers to this stuff until April now, right? New uh, new home, new who? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm so excited to start exploring this new doctor. For sure. Yeah. I think where where the two of these are going to go is it's only up and for the better. I think it's really exciting. Without question. So uh, until then, this has been episode 511 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next time, uh, I will say to you, name, the doctor, occupation, not a doctor, current status, just passing by, employer, Myself. Address. That blue box over there. And this is Julie saying, Hush! I am learning the vocabulary of rope. And this is Haley saying, It's so exciting to be waiting for less than a year for New Who. <laughs> I'm LZ. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. Jacob Hansen. Gallifrey Public Radio is copyright 2023. We'll see you next time.